Spare us the hypocrisy and false indignation. It's a term used over and over and over again by <laughs> politicians on both sides of the aisle. Are you making fun of the way he talks, Desi Doyen? <laughs> Maybe a little. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't Uber. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans, on uh, on, uh, WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico's... On KNIZ. Yeah, it's been a long uh, bunch of days here. Out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We stream as well, coast to coast and around the globe. Even during impeachment trials on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, looking forward to getting back to covering other things. And yet, for now, our special coverage of Donald John Trump's second impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate continues. Desi Doyen, here's one reason that I look forward to getting back to other things at some point in the probably near future. We'll see how long everything goes in the Senate. But uh, just before air, a headline pops up here on my iPhone from Washington Post. Postmaster General's new plan for the U.S. Postal Service is said to include slower mail and higher prices. Wow. That doesn't sound like a good plan. No. I don't know. I'm not a, you know, a postmaster. I'm no CEO, but I have a (laughs) feeling that saying less service, more expensive is not the way to go. No, it's not. But we will talk about that on another uh, thrilling episode of the broadcast, I'm sure. Welcome to this one as lawyers for Donald Trump defended him against impeachment on Friday by accusing Democrats of waging a dishonest campaign of, quote, hatred against the former president and manipulating his words in the lead up to the deadly siege of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Their presentation, however, as AP notes at this hour, included a blizzard of their own selectively edited fiery comments from Democrats. And the uh, Trump attorneys, by the way, even added dramatic music under all of it to drive the drama home in a way that I don't suspect would be allowed in any actual court of law. The Trump legal team characterized the impeachment case as a politically motivated witch hunt. 
Sound familiar? And they sought to reduce the case to uh, simply Trump's use of a single word, the word fight, in uh, his speech preceding the January 6th riot by playing dozens and dozens and dozens of clips of Democrats also saying the word fight. That clip was about nine minutes long. Is that right? Long. That I think montage? it's every time that a Democrat said fight, any time in the last 10 years. Ever. Because that's so relevant. The uh, Trump defense team left out what Trump was doing in telling his supporters to, quote, fight like hell. And the fact that it was to undermine a national election after every state had verified its results, after the Electoral College had affirmed those results, and after... Nearly every election law uh, election lawsuit that was filed by Trump and his allies had been rejected in court, including by Republican judges, including about eight Republican judges that were actually appointed by Donald J. Trump. Instead, they contended that he was simply telling the crowd that day on January 6th to support primary challenges against his adversaries and pressing for sweeping election reform in the future. The defense rested its case after just using three hours of their allocated 16 hours. And as we go to air, the question and answer period with questions from senators and answers from both teams of attorneys is uh, is currently underway. I want to get to my guest, Heather Digby-Parton, uh, very shortly here for some uh, insight and analysis on all of this, on the defense, on the House managers, and where both this process and the nation goes from here. Uh, but let me run through at least uh, just a few points made by the uh, Trump team that really did not argue in response to the incredibly detailed and persuasive case that was made by the Democrats, and they, uh, the defense team argued instead pretty much only that Donald Trump was simply exercising his free speech rights and that he was also not afforded due process during the House impeachments uh, process. It began the presentation with Trump's new lawyer, the fiery Michael T. Venderveen, who is apparently a personal injury lawyer from Philadelphia. He's not a constitutional law or First Amendment expert, to my knowledge. Uh, and reportedly, he actually sued Donald Trump last year for uh, some baseless mail-in voting complaints or hmm. something. In any event, Van Der Veen uh, began with an opening statement that, to my ears anyway, sure as heck sounded like it was written by Donald Trump himself. The article of impeachment now before the Senate is an unjust and blatantly unconstitutional act of political vengeance. This appalling abuse of the Constitution only further divides our nation when we should be trying to come together around shared priorities. Like, ever, like every other politically motivated witch hunt the left has engaged in over the past four years, this impeachment is completely divorced from the facts, the evidence, and the interests of the American people. The Senate should promptly and decisively vote to reject it. No thinking person could seriously believe that the President's January 6th speech on the ellipse was in any way an incitement to violence or insurrection. No thinking person could ever think that. 
but of course, uh, it, it didn't take long uh, before the first out-and-out out lie from the defense team came uh, right at the top of their presentation. As recently as 2016, the Clinton campaign brought multiple post-election court cases, demanded recounts, and ridiculously declared the election stolen by Russia. Now, I don't believe that they were five minutes into the presentation before they came out with that particular lie. And, of course, it caught my ears right off the bat because I know better. I know that, in fact, in 2016, the Hillary Clinton campaign did not bring post-election lawsuits, did not demand recounts. In fact, cybersecurity experts and voting systems experts at the time were pushing her and her campaign very hard to do exactly that. The scientists were begging her to ask for hand counts in uh, a number of states, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, where they were seeking forensic audits of the voting systems because uh, back in 2016, there were no actual ballots to count across much of the state of Pennsylvania because they used completely electronic voting systems. But the Clinton campaign refused to do it. And that's why it was the Green Party's candidate, Jill Stein, who ended up asking for hand counts in those three particular states because Hillary Clinton didn't do so. So if they're lying right off the bat, well, that doesn't speak well of uh, where they may be going from there. Van Der Veen went on to say that the president did not engage in any language of incitement and that uh, this was nothing more than, well, what the uh, latest Fox News favorite buzzword is, nothing more than a case of uh, Democrats and their cancel culture. In short, this unprecedented effort is not about Democrats opposing political violence. Is about Democrats trying to disqualify their political opposition. It is constitutional cancel culture. History will, will, will record this shameful effort as a deliberate attempt by the Democrat Party to smear, censor, and cancel not just President Trump, but the 75 million Americans who voted for him. Now is not the time for such a campaign of retribution. It is the time for unity and healing and focusing on the interests of the nation as a whole. We should all be seeking to cool temperatures, calm passions, rise above partisan lines. So that is not a sketch from Saturday Night Live. That <laughs> is actually Donald Trump's defense lawyer, Michael Van Der Veen, calling for unity and saying we need to cool the temperatures because you know how Republicans are always trying to cool the temperatures, particularly after a very partisan and uh, brutal presidential election. Especially Donald Trump after he lost the election for two straight months. He was not at all talking about raising the temperature or talking about fighting. He was calming everyone. David Schoen, uh, another Trump attorney, uh, the man who uh, represented Roger Stone and was working with uh, the sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein before he died in prison, said the Democrats waited to deliver the impeachment articles to the Senate. 
until after Trump was out of office. That, of course, is false. The Senate was not in session uh, when uh, the House passed the impeachment article and wanted to deliver it to the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, then majority leader, refused to call the Republicans back. And so and then said we would not accept them if you sent them over. Uh, Schoen also asked uh, why did uh, Democrats withhold never-before-seen video from the defense team uh, that they showed in the uh, in their own presentation? Uh, is it the result of a rushed trial without due process, David Schoen warned? But uh, as we would later learn as the day went on, that according to the House managers anyway, all of that video material, that never-before-seen video, was actually turned over to the defense team before the Tuesday start of the trial, according to the rules of the impeachment process. They say that they gave all of it to the defense team. So, boy, that's a whole lot of lies in just the very first few minutes of this presentation, of this short presentation. Schoen said, we have reason to believe that Democrats manipulated Trump's words, manufactured evidence, falsely manipulated tweets. And then there was a long montage of Democrats calling for political fights and fighting and uh, using the word fight over and over and over again. Uh, it was very strange. Uh, some of the response from folks on Twitter, for example, Tom Nichols, the uh, journalist and author of The Death of Expertise, said, I don't know what the problem is here. I think it's clear that there is no difference between encouraging a loved one, for example, to fight cancer and standing at the door of a hospital, exhorting a mob to invade and overrun the <laughs> oncology ward, take all the chemo drugs and kill the staff. Totally the same. And, of course, that's what they were showing was Democrats talking about we have to fight. We have to fight to win this election. We have to fight for this policy or that policy. But no different than, you know, calling for a violent insurrection. Michael McFall, the former uh, ambassador to Russia, said if a mob boss orders his subordinates to wipe out someone but does not pull the trigger himself, can he claim First Amendment protections for his language? Well, the answer is no, he cannot. But that is exactly what the Trump team was trying to do here, that he was doing, that Trump was doing nothing more than exercising his First Amendment rights. Neil Kotyal, the former U.S. attorney, said this First Amendment defense is ridiculous. They are saying that Trump can say anything under the First Amendment and not be impeached for it. Really, he asks? Can he wear a swastika? Can he say kill blacks or some other word? Can he support Hitler? If this is what they've got, they've got nothing at all. Well, it appears they did not have much. Uh, they did not spend much time actually uh, defending what Donald Trump did. They did, as I said, make up a bunch of untrue things about what the Democrats said and did. Bruce Castor, the attorney who opened the um, the case for the uh, for uh, Donald Trump on uh, Tuesday, who Donald Trump was supposedly very, very unhappy with, he returned. Long enough to say that what happened on January 6th was nothing short of horrific and that the 45th president denounces what happened. He continued to call him the 45th president instead of the former president. Yes. He claimed that the uh, House manager spent no time connecting the violence to the 45th president, 
which is also completely false. In fact, the House manager spent a lot of time doing exactly that, unless I was dreaming during the 14 or so hour presentation from the House managers. He instead said Bruce Castor, uh, Bruce Castor said that Trump is the most pro-police, anti-violence president in history. He, in fact, called for peaceful March that day. Yeah, he only said it once. He said peacefully, and that was bearing a lot of weight there because he yeah. ignored everything else that Trump said that day. Yeah, apparently. When and he, all the days and months before. When, but when he talked about fighting like hell, he was only talking about fighting, you know, in primary challenges and for election reform. Uh, he said the president did not call for violence in his speech. His speech did not cause the violence. In fact, he called for peace. And so Brandenburg, the, uh, the, the real test of whether uh, something is free speech, First Amendment protected free speech, or whether it is something unlawful, that Brandenburg v. Ohio, the 1969 case, does not apply here. And since it came up a lot throughout the conversation, uh, throughout the presentation from Trump's defense team, just to be clear, uh, the government can forbid advocacy of the use of force as a violation of law only when that advocacy is directed to incite imminent lawless action and is thought likely to incite or produce such action. Now, the Democrats spent quite a bit of time claiming, uh, showing, in their opinion, how exactly Trump's uh, efforts did exactly that, that he was calling for imminent lawless action and that he had to know it was likely to incite or produce such action. Trump's team, however, said that the uh, the uh, House managers did not do that at all. Anyway, reading from the uh, transcript of Trump's conversation with the Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, though Bruce Castor called him Ben Rothensburg, he said that uh, I, I'm not even sure why he actually read that. He said that when Trump was trying to get the Secretary of State to find 11,000 votes, he didn't mean anything unlawful for it. Well, we'll find out because Donald Trump is now being criminally investigated in Georgia for that phone call in a state where it is illegal to encourage an election official to fraudulently change election results. Castor closed the case for uh, Donald Trump this way. It is about canceling 75 million Trump voters and criminalizing political viewpoints. That is what this trial is really about. It's the only existential issue before us. It, it asks for constitutional cancel culture to take over in the United States Senate. Are we going to allow canceling and banning and silencing to be sanctioned in this body? To the Democrats who view this as a moment of opportunity, I urge you instead to look to the principles of free expression and free speech. I hope truly that the next time you are in the minority, you don't find yourself in this position. To the Republicans in this chamber, I ask when you are next in the majority, 
Please resist what will be an overwhelming temptation to do this very same thing to the opposing party. Members of the Senate, this concludes the formal defense of the 45th President of the United States to the impeachment article filed by the House of Representatives. That was that. Yeah, that was it. They did not make the constitutional case that this proceeding was unconstitutional, that many of the Republican senators to date have been sort of leaning on here as their reason that they are going to vote against conviction. They did not respond, in fact, largely to most of the House managers case at all. They just used three hours of their 16 allotted and then said they were done. We'll find out if they are done. Let's take a quick break here. We will come back with Heather Digby-Parton with some thoughts on the day and the week as our special coverage continues of Donald Trump's second Senate impeachment trial. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Democrats are going to fight like hell. We fight like hell. I'm going to fight like hell. I will fight like hell. We're going to fight like hell. I'm going to fight like hell. Fight like hell. I will fight like hell. We have to fight like hell. You got to fight for your right to <laughs> Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. With your thrilling special coverage of Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. Not the Beastie Boys there, but before (laughs) it, that was actually part of a really, really long montage put together by the uh, Donald Trump's defense team in his uh, Senate impeachment trial, showing that, yes, in fact, Democrats have in the past used the word fight many times, as if that somehow uh, got Donald Trump off the hook for telling his supporters to fight like hell, march down to that Capitol and uh, stop the electoral vote count. As we go to air, uh, as I say, we're still in the middle of, uh, I think it's day four at this point of the impeachment trial process. Donald Trump's team has just rested their case within the past hours, using up just about three hours or so of the 16 hours they were allowed to use. So with the defense resting following a harrowing several days of presentation from the Democratic House manager team, where are we? Well, the House managers detailed a very well-drawn point-by-point case, a meticulous use of audio and video, some of it never before seen publicly, revealing the extent of the violence at the Capitol and the very near danger that lawmakers barely escaped during the January 6th attack at the Capitol. In fact, Vice President Mike Pence, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other lawmakers were targeted by the mob for, yes, assassination. And that they argued, the Democrats did, that Trump's incitement of the attempted insurrection at the Capitol was not only done 
at his rally in front of the White House on January 6th, but actually began months and months earlier when he told his supporters that the election, if he did not win, will have been stolen. And then he spent months and months telling them to fight like hell. The uh, Trump defense team also argued that uh, he received no due process during the impeachment uh, in the U.S. House, though they did not argue, as Republicans have been contending, that this entire process is unconstitutional because Donald Trump is now no longer in office. But they did lean heavily on the First Amendment protected free speech right that they claim Donald Trump has to say and apparently incite anything he wants. Trump's attorney, Michael T. Venderveen, failed to introduce himself, said the president did not call for what he described as a resurrection. I think he meant insurrection. He called uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley Anaya, and he called Vice President Kamala Harris Kamala. Later, Trump's lead defense attorney, Bruce Castor, called Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger Ben Rothenberg. Oh, and also uh, Team Trump argued the House managers manipulated Trump's words and video statements and tweets to make their case that before the Trump attorneys showed a lot of highly manipulated video images, which, yes, included that deep, dramatic soundtrack to help with their manipulation. Joining us now to make some sense of all of this, maybe, is our old friend Heather Digby-Parton. She, of course, is the proprietor of the Hullabaloo blog and a regular contributor at Salon.com. Heather Digby-Parton, so good to have you back here on the broadcast. How are you, Heather? I am fine, and thank you for having me. Uh, what was the goal of Donald Trump's defense team as you saw it? Uh, to create sound bites for Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax. <laughs> is, is that it? No more? They didn't that, have that's to... It. Yeah, I don't think... Look, they, they, know, <laughs> they know that they had... Look, they had intimidated the jurors, right? I mean, they, had, they knew ahead of, ahead of time mm -hmm. that um, the number of... I mean, this is an unusual trial in that it requires... You know, it's not a unanimous verdict, it's, but they do mm -hmm. have to get two-thirds, and that's a lot in a, the Senate with 100 senators, and they do have 50 Republicans. Mm -hmm. And of those Republicans, I would say, you know, 90% of them have been intimidated by Donald Trump, or they are, you know, true believers <laughs> in, in MAGA. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, they knew going in that they had to do that. So what I'm sure, and this, this is backed up by the fact that Trump fired his previous lawyers just a little over a week, or I guess it was almost two weeks ago, mm -hmm. uh, before the trial started, because they were refusing to sort of, you know, put on the case that would provide the sound bites for Newsmax, Fox News, and OAN, essentially. And they wanted to run a, a serious case, you know, mostly concentrating on the idea that this was an unconstitutional proceeding. And he didn't like that, so he fired them, or they resigned, and there was some argument over fees as well, which, of course, it's Donald Trump. Um, and so they've got <laughs> these new guys, and they were willing to go there. So that is what this is about for the Trump team. They know that they are going to uh, prevail, or they certainly believe they are going to prevail, and it's a... Uh, 
that is a reasonable belief, considering what we know about the Republicans mm-hmm. um, and what they have said publicly and, and voted on already. Um, and they also, I think, you know, part of this is, is recognition. And when I say that Newsmax, OAN, and Fox thing, it sounds kind of flippant, but the truth is is that they know that, that the MAGA voters, uh, who are most of the Republican Party now, uh, those that are not, you know, totally QAnon, and a lot of those are the same people, right. um, they, don't, they will not know about this trial. They will not hear the real news about this trial. Mm-hmm. They will not watch it. They will not see the evidence. They will not follow it. So the people they care about are going to see the story unfold from the perspective of Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. and whoever those nameless bozos are in the other two networks. And, and that is how they're going to hear this. And so that is what the whole point is, is to, to sort of, um, you know, just, just you know, reinforce yeah. their beliefs and give them something to hang on to and give them the idea that the impeachment trial, that the, that the Democrats yeah. and the House managers had completely flubbed it. They did a terrible job. They were they were making up evidence. They were a big joke. And, and essentially, that's what this is all about at this point and for that, them. And it won't be hard. I mentioned, uh, I think on Wednesday, uh, on that f- first day of the Democrats' opening uh, uh, argument, which was so compelling and so harrowing uh, with some of that uh, security video and audio and so forth, uh, I flipped over to Fox News after that un- incredibly... Uh, you know, dramatic video that had shaken up reportedly a lot of the senators in the uh, in the chamber there. Fox News was not even running it. They were in the middle of their The Five show talking about a national anthem controversy in the NBA. So I think you might have it right, Heather. They're going to get this from sound bites and and those short clips. So is there no reason at all for them to even put on a legitimate case, just give these clips away. You know, they they included a lot of lies, out and out lies in their presentation on the on the Trump side. For example, right off the bat, they claimed that Hillary Clinton's campaign had filed post-election lawsuits and demanded recounts after 2016. That is completely untrue. Cybersecurity experts begged her campaign to do that, but she wouldn't. That's why the Green Party's uh, Jill Stein eventually did. But, you know, as to their actual non-lie claims, they would say things. Uh, the, the, the Trump uh, defense team said that, for example, people were gathering at the Capitol before Trump even began speaking, so he couldn't have possibly incited those violent criminals. Is that a damning point? Does it matter? You know, why do they throw in such things if uh, they expect that nobody's that nobody on the on, on their side is even paying attention? Well, they want their, their people to believe that, that that's a valid point. You know, gee, there were people who, I mean, gee, people came in from out of town, and that was, they must have been planning to be there before the president made that speech. But if you were to hear the House manager's presentation, what you would hear is, I mean, they went back to the point in the, in the election cycle when the president, when Trump, was saying the only way we can can lose this election is if it's rigged. And he said that, oh, as we well would know, we talked about it endlessly, you know, over and over mm-hmm. and over again. He primed them to believe that the election would be stolen. And then we all know what happened when he lost the election, legitimately, all the court cases, all the, the you know, the various election officials around the country, even going up to, you know, Trump-appointed federal judges, 
they they all ruled that the that the election was legitimate and and that was what set the stage for the incitement because it just it it grew in hysteria mm. as we well know mm-hmm. from the night of the election as we were all sitting here you know watching in the middle of the night he came out and said we won right and yep. from that point on he never stopped saying it and it got weirder and wilder and crazier to the point where we had Rudy Giuliani with black you know <laughs> dye dripping down his face and this Sidney Powell and all that crazy stuff that was going on it whipped that crowd those people those true believing MAGA people into a frenzy which we then saw in living color in all that video they were whipped into a frenzy long before they got there and Trump just as as the managers put it yeah they you know there was gasoline all over the place already and Trump just you know lit a match and threw it in the crowd and we know what happened oh, then on January 6 yeah i thought they did a uh, tremendous job frankly the house impeachment managers uh, putting together this case and it seemed to me that uh, you know in pointing that out i mean they went back to last summer that he was already yeah saying uh, if I lose the election it will be because it was rigged that this was a long plan of incitement. Yeah, they showed that he had a long, months-long pattern and practice, and he telegraphed his plan to uh, to say that the election was stolen, the election was rigged if he didn't win. He telegraphed his plan for months, as as Heather just mm-hmm. said. What, and can I just add yeah. one other detail? I think, you know, there there are facts that came out in this presentation as well, in the case that I don't think people knew about before, which is that originally the, the organizers of the January 6th uh, rally mm-hmm. uh, were, were organizing it to come after the inauguration. Right. Kind of, you know, they were modeling it on the Women's March, right? right. I mean, right. we're going to bring millions in, it's going to be just as good, we'll all wear red hats instead of pink hats, right. Right. You know, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but that was their idea, and I had sort of assumed they would do something like that. It makes sense. It's, you know, tit for tat, mm-hmm. and they would get their people in town. When it was Trump who pushed the January 6th date. And when he got involved at, and started started um, tweeting about it, and his people, his former campaign people, who suddenly jumped on this rally thing, once they got involved, that's when the January 6th thing, and, you know, that date obviously, we know, wasn't pulled out of a hat. Mm-hmm. It was because they wanted them to come there for that day, and they wanted them to march to the Capitol. And that was another piece of information that came out in this, was that until the Trump people got involved, there was no permit to march to the Capitol. Yeah. That was their idea. And now, you tell me what they thought they were. Were they going to go to the Capitol and, and sign petitions to primary, you know, Republicans who didn't vote right? I mean, yeah. what was the purpose other than to do what they did? Yeah, actually, it's not even clear to me that they had a permit even when it happened to actually march to the Capitol. The the uh, permit you're referring to actually had said, we will stay at the Ellipse at the White House, and it went out of its way to say, we will not march to the Capitol. I'm not sure if they were ever actually permitted for that. I think Trump might have just you know, pulled that one out of the hat while he was speaking, knowing he was going to do it, of course. And we had been warning people on this show for weeks in advance, hey, January 6th is the date you need to to, to look for. But yeah, I mean, th- that's something else that came out of this uh, uh, trial that I did not know before. Uh, Heather, who, who would you like to see? And it's unclear if they're even going to bring forward witnesses, but would you like to see witnesses? If so, who would you like to see? Well, I think that the one 
part of their presentation, which it still has some obscurity, and not because we don't know it, but just because it's the only proof they have. And the, and the, the Trump's uh, lawyers brought this up um, today, which is that which is the period where he was in the White House after the speech, and you know we can look at a timeline and see very clearly that he didn't care that they were sacking the Capitol on television, mm-hmm. and in fact we know now. That he didn't even care that, that, I mean, he knew because Tommy Tuberville, the Alabama senator, he called him in the midst of this whole thing, and Tuberville told him they've just, you know, rushed Mike Pence out of the, you know, mm-hmm. out, out of the room. So he knew and, Pence was in danger, right, at least he knew at Pence that time. was in danger, and, and he I think, didn't, yeah. his lawyers have denied that, but it's obvious that he did know, uh, it, assuming Tommy Tuberville isn't lying, which mm-hmm. essentially is what Trump's lawyers said. He must have been lying. But in any case, what, what the reports that were cited in there about him, how he was reacting, all of which are reflective of everything we know about Donald Trump and also reflected in the tweets and the videos that he put out and the timeline, you know, it, it sort of very vaguely saying at one point, yes, you know, be, be supportive of our police and, you know, that sort of thing, and then came out and said, you know, Go home in peace, and we love you, and we think you're very special. All the while, still pumping the big lie and saying you're right, basically justifying what they were doing mm-hmm. by saying, you know, this was a, a horrible thing that's happened to you, and I know it, you know, better than anybody. And then at the end of the day, putting out one that's saying, you know, remember this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, always remember this day. Well, what we don't have in there is direct testimony from people who saw him and talk to him. And there are people who did, including senators who are on the record saying that they called and were begging him. People who talked to Trump, you're saying, during that day. Yeah, talked to Trump or were trying to get to Trump and they couldn't get to him. Kellyanne Conway, that would be one I'd like to call. You know, I mean, Mm. I would call the ones who maybe think they might have a career in the future and maybe feel like that that they're not going to commit perjury for, for Donald Trump. But there are people who... We're in that. I'm not talking about yeah. Mark Meadows because you know Maggie Haberman of the New York Times says they should call Mark Meadows. I'm like, yeah, he would not only lie for Donald Trump, he would die for Donald well, Trump. Well, speaking of people who would people uh, people who would lie and die for Donald Trump, how about Mike Pence? Why don't they yeah. call him as a witness at this point? I mean, surely he must have e- either talked to the uh, president that day at some point. Uh, or tried to reach the president or, you know, knew that the White House knew that he was being uh, shuffled out. Uh, Boy, I'd love to see him under oath answering questions. Uh, Heather, um, you know, I I mentioned this uh, on our previous show. At this point, Republicans could, if they wanted to, take take this opportunity to remove what I see as Donald Trump's last remaining superpower. That is his front-runner status right now to, uh, to become president again in his front-runner status in 2024. They could do away with it. That would just undercut, it seems to me, cut him off at the knees as far as the power and the hold and the thrall that he has over these Republican officials. Why wouldn't they take this chance to do that by disqualifying him from office? I mean, I'm serious. It's a serious question because I, 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 I don't think he would have that kind of power anymore to scare them. You know, his his power would dissipate if they took away that superpower. It seems to me. 
Well, I think so, and especially the senators. You can kind of understand why House members wouldn't do it because they're in gerrymandered red districts with you know mm-hmm. very strong mega constituencies. And they in don't the have Senate, to now. They're they're done. Their their job is done now. It's yeah, up yeah. to the senators. Yeah, they did what they had to do. Now, I think you're absolutely right, and we know you're right because of the way Mitch McConnell has acted, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been trying to have it both ways. It's obvious that he is absolutely beside himself (laughs) that this is going to hang his 2022 senators that are in any state that have a close, you know, are are closely divided. Uh, It's going to be a big problem. This is going to be hung around their neck. He knows it. He's been trying to sort of, you know, vote your conscience, I'm not going to whip count, you know, all that kind of stuff, just trying to send a, a strong signal that, you know, be aware that this is, this is not a good idea. I will never understand why, you know, there have been some Republicans who made a bet, right? There's Liz Cheney, Ben Sass, you know, uh, there are a few others, I think Kinsinger maybe is one of them, who have uh, ambition. And they're looking to, you know, some kind of future. I think Cheney's running for president. I think Sass is, too. And there are certainly others outside, the, you know, the, the Senate who are running for, for president in 2024. And they made a bet that by the time that happens, Donald Trump will have either faded or he will have imploded in mm-hmm. some way. And that the MAGA fever will have broken. I will never understand why more of them haven't made that yeah, bet. Yeah, that's what I... I, it just seems it just seems politically uh, unwise to, to 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 you know to tie yourself to Donald Trump this late in the game with all of this stuff. But they are doing it, and and it just tells you everything you need to know. That's the political uh, calculation. I, Ask yourself what the actual reputational legacy, um, you know, moral. <laughs> you know, uh, consideration of this is. You, you had trouble getting out the word moral, yeah, didn't you, in consideration. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at McConnell, look, M- McConnell's own wife, uh, Trump's Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow, she resigned immediately after the January 6th attack. Uh, McConnell has said that Trump provoked the attack. Trump arguably cost Mitch McConnell his Senate majority, uh, you know, with, with the election uh, subsequent runoff elections in Georgia and Mitch McConnell was just elected to six more years and he is no spring chicken as of now so I don't I'm not sure why at this point McConnell wouldn't vote to convict and disqualify him from future office he's been sort of cagey about his intentions but I'm not sure he's uh, going to vote with the president. We'll we'll see. I, I think that they're banking on voters having very short memories, and if they can just make sure that the Fox News right-wing media echo chamber continues to pound the idea that this was not what you see, do not believe the evidence of your <laughs> eyes and ears, that then they can make it through through the midterms in 2022, which, you know, t- typically the opposing party wins, and then again to 2024. They hope voters will forget. Well, it's a good it, bet. That, that voters will forget, you know, what's the, the Gore Vidal um, quote, you know, the United States of amnesia, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we don't, we don't, we tend not to uh, remember uh, very long on these things. But I, I am going to take a, a wild guess that the Democrats are not going to let them forget. Well, I have a feeling this is not going to be something, I mean, I hope, right. because this was an assault on democracy in a way, and the cowardice and and cynicism of the republicans in this situation i mean it, it it is absolutely i mean you know getting serious about this and going beyond the the political calculations here 
this was a grotesque assault on democracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He did incite it. This is not, you know, in any way disputable. And there's nobody, if they are honest with themselves, that believe he didn't. I mean, it's ridiculous. So... with, I'm sorry. No, 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 which is, uh, I mean, that sort of uh, leads me to my last point, although I, I do want to throw in sort of this uh, unanswerable uh, question, imponderable, if you will. I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, if Mike Pence, who was specifically targeted with assassination in this case, encouraged by his own uh, President Trump, I wonder if he had a vote in this impeachment trial, if he would vote to convict at this point. But at some point, I think during the end of the uh, opening arguments by the uh, by the House managers summing up the case, Heather, I felt like even that was something when when no matter how Republicans end up voting here, even that sort of rounding up of all of this, everything that happened, you know, sort of so meticulously, historically noting what happened what Trump did in its entirety, at least as far as we know it, to try and steal an election through whatever means necessary, that this was this exercise, this impeachment uh, pro- uh, process and the trial is in itself it feels to me somewhat cathartic, at least for me, you know, to know that it was recorded for the historic record this way. I am glad that the case has been made and that the truth about all of this has come out in this way, no matter how corrupt Senate Republicans uh, end up responding to it. It's almost like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Have you had that sense in, in watching this process? I wish, I wish I thought it was like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I, I, it's obviously, you know, it, it imperative that they did this, right? I mean, they could not let this pass. I mean, this was, this was an, you know, an, a, a violent insurrection. They themselves were threatened. It, they did it on, in, when there was a joint session of Congress meeting where everybody was there, right? I mean, that's not just a normal day. I mean, they actually targeted the day when every single one of our national representatives were, in, were present. And it was to stop a, a you know, certification of the presidential election. So, I mean, this was huge. It's, it's historic. We all watched it. I mean, the idea of trivializing this into some, you know, like I heard somebody say yesterday, oh, it was some tourists that got caught up, you know. <laughs> well, that's right. what it was, wow. yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. So, you know, uh, yes, it was imperative that they did this, and they had to make a stand, and they had to put it on the record, and Donald Trump is now in history as the only president in history to be impeached twice. And the fact that the Republic, his Republican cronies could not, you know, summon the, the, the integrity to actually even look at the evidence, much less accept it and, and vote against him, even after he was out of power. I mean, this is the sh- it goes to our previous discussion, right? I mean, they're still afraid of him? I mean, my God, mm. he's not even president anymore, yeah. and yet they won't do it. Yeah. So, I, of course, putting that on the historical record is very, very important. But I honestly think, and, and in fact, the, the president's lawyers have been making the case over and over again that there was no real investigation. They didn't go and get testimony from people. They didn't call witnesses. They didn't look at all the, you know, at all the evidence, and they just presented these videos and whatever, which of course is enough for any sentient being to see the guilt of what happened there. But that argues for, um, you know, a real commission uh, to dig deeper and find out why the National Guard wasn't there. Let's find out how all that unfolded. Let's do that. And, and I'm actually 
for it. I doubt they will do it because I think everyone is exhausted and they want Donald Trump to go away. But I think it would be healthy if the the Congress, you know, they don't have to do it publicly if they don't want to. They could do it like they did the the uh, intelligence committees did the Russia investigations, right? But, you know, the record has to be clear what happened here. This was an historic event. It was a domestic act of terrorism, which the President of the United States incited. And I just don't think we can end it like this and say, well, you know, we tried, we did our best, and have Trump come back and start appearing on Fox News every day and and holding rallies, which I just heard last night he's planning to start up (laughs) pretty soon. I mean, that's insane that this guy could be out rallying again in a month. So so you won another commission. Heather... (laughs) <laughs> Can't you just move on? Don't no. you care about unity for our country? Why are you trying to make this so much worse? Heather Digby Parton can be read damn near every day at salon.com and I think every day at digbysblog.net. You can also follow her on the Twitters at digby56. <sighs> So much, as ever, so much to talk to you about, Uh, Heather. We will be doing it again soon. We used to only talk about Donald Trump. Actually, we're still only talking about Donald Trump. (laughs) One of these days, I look forward to talking with you about something else, because there's this other guy in office now. He's very interesting. He's doing some neat stuff. And what the Democrats are doing is not terrible for a change. No. Yeah, let's talk about that someday. At some that point. Would be fun. Yeah, we have to do it quick before what they do <laughs> actually they do is terrible. terrible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks, Heather. Great talking to you. We'll do it again soon. Thank you for having me. You bet. Okay, Desi Doyen, you are on deck, as a matter of fact, with your latest Green News report, in which I think we do talk about some, some of, of those things stuff. that Biden is doing. Yeah, yes. that'll be nice. All right, that's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, someone please stop the world. That would be nice. Uh, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Got some late-breaking news today, which we will get to after our latest Green News report. America must lead in the face of this existential threat. And just as with the pandemic, it requires global cooperation. President Biden puts climate change at the center of U.S. national security and foreign policy. Pollution from fossil fuels causes one in five premature deaths globally, new study finds. Plus, this isn't good for anybody who had issues with their respiratory system or especially the wildlife. Another oil pipeline spill, this time in San Francisco Bay. All of those messes and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The United States will now rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. The three things his predecessor hated most, the World Health and Organization. This is your Green News Report. Baby, we're sorry. We're just going through some stuff. Please take us back.
Okay, Desi Doyne, just when the world is trying to get rid of oil, another reminder as to just one of the reasons why we need to do so as soon as possible. <laughs> yep, there's another oil spill, this time in San Francisco Bay. Crews are now working to clean up an estimated 600 gallons of crude that spilled from a pipeline at the Chevron Oil Refinery in the Bay Area town of Richmond. Man. The spill prompted a health alert for residents to close their windows and doors to avoid breathing the fumes. There has been nothing but problems with that Chevron plant in Richmond catching fire, leaking pipelines, anyway. Yep. In Washington this week, President Joe Biden continued expanding his whole-of-government approach to climate change. He spoke to staff at the Pentagon for the first time as commander-in-chief, thanking them for their service and sacrifices to the nation after the tumultuous Trump administration and laying out his national security agenda. Biden emphasized their mission now includes combating climate change. There's no aspect of our agenda the 21st century leaders where the women and men of the Defense Department do not have a role, whether it's helping curb the pandemic here at home and around the world, or addressing the real threats of climate change that are already costing us billions in impacts on our basis and our national security or being part of an ongoing fight for racial justice. Biden gave similar instructions to State Department personnel last week as he pledged to repair alliances, restore climate diplomacy to U.S. foreign policy, and, quote, earn back America's international leadership position. Good luck with that. We're taking steps led by the example of integrating climate objectives across all of our diplomacy and raising the ambition of our climate targets. That way we can challenge other nations, other major emitters, to up the ante on their own commitments. I guess they're curbing emissions at the State Department by not using microphones. He continued, America must lead in the face of this existential threat. And American leadership is probably going to be necessary because we already knew that the pledges countries made to reduce emissions under the U.N. Paris Climate Agreement are woefully inadequate to keep global temperatures in check. And we already knew countries are already failing to meet even those modest targets. Now, new research from the University of Washington calculates that world governments must nearly double the rate of their greenhouse gas cutting efforts over the next decade to avoid the most catastrophic effects of climate change. Meanwhile, new research from Harvard University has found that pollution from fossil fuels causes one in five premature deaths globally, suggesting that the health impacts of burning coal, oil and natural gas are far higher than previously thought. In the most comprehensive examination of microscopic soot pollution data yet, the researchers estimated that exposure to pollution from power plants, vehicles and industry accounts for about 18 percent of all deaths globally wow. in 2018. 18. Really? The impacts are not distributed equally. In the U.S. and Europe, fossil fuel pollution was linked to one in ten premature deaths. In Asia, pollution caused nearly a third of mm. deaths. The scientists conclude that ending fossil fuel pollution would increase global average life expectancy by more than a year and save nearly $3 trillion in global economic and public health costs every single year. Wow. Of course, it will also increase population, which will increase emissions, but that's a story for another Green News report. Finally, some good news. The Biden administration is restarting the permitting process for the nation's first major offshore wind farm, reversing a Trump administration decision that canceled the process late last year. And a new report finds that the U.S. wind industry had its strongest year ever in 2020, nearly doubling new installations over 2019 for a new 
record high. The U.S. now has more than 60,000 wind turbines across 41 states, generating clean electricity for 38 million U.S. homes. Wow, cool. And that's without even trying that hard. Imagine what we could do if we actually tried. For much more on all of these stories... And the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Thank you very much, Desi yep. Doyen. Greatly appreciated. Always nice to get some good, a little bit of good news. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I have to ruin it by closing <laughs> with this. Just in from CNN, new details about uh, a Trump-McCarthy shouting match shows that Trump refused to call off the rioters. Mm. I remember we were talking with uh, Digby about uh, who she might like to call for a witness. Looks like Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, might be the perfect one to call. Um, apparently, according to CNN, in an expletive-laced phone call with McCarthy while the Capitol was under attack, then-President Trump said the rioters cared more about the election than McCarthy did. Trump said, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. McCarthy insisted that the rioters were Trump's supporters and begged Trump to call them off. But apparently uh, Trump wouldn't. And a furious McCarthy told the president that the writers were breaking into his office through the windows and asked Trump, who the F do you think you are talking to? Newly revealed details of the call show that uh, Trump knew exactly what was going on, as reported, and did not choose to call off his riders. I wonder if that'll come up in the days ahead. We got to get out, however. Thanks, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to my guest today, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo, and to all of you for sharing a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you very much for that. All right, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,